This is Classical Ideas with Greg Soden. everybody. Welcome to Classical Ideas. This is Greg Soden. I'm doing a little mini-series on Taoism and Taoist practices, and this is part one of that mini-series. For this episode, I reached out to my friend Dr. Pablo Mendoza about his own Taoist practices. Dr. Mendoza heads up the Office of Social Equity at Indiana University of Pennsylvania. In his position there, he is the assistant to the president for social equity. Pablo and I had a wide-ranging conversation that introduces Taoist cultivation practices to listeners who know nothing, but this will also be enjoyable for people who know a bit about practicing Taoism already. I had a ton of fun hanging out with Pablo at the Columbia, Missouri Public Library to record this episode. I learned so much about being a practicing Taoist, and I hope you love the conversation. So, without further delay, here is my fun and lively chat with my friend, Dr. Pablo Mendoza. Welcome to the Classical Ideas Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Pablo Mendoza. Pablo, thank you so much for coming on the Classical Ideas Podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me. So I'm curious if you can start off by just kind of introducing yourself, maybe a little bit about your religious and spiritual background, your education, your job, whatever springs to mind. Okay. Um, I was, I'm a Filipino-American, immigrated to the United States when I was really young, and I was raised Roman Catholic. Um, And for a long period of time, religious-wise, I was very, very dedicated to the Roman Catholic Church. And I actually went through spiritual discernment through uh, retreats with the Utah priests out of University of San Diego, where I was an undergrad. And after going through three spiritual retreats, um, the lead uh, spiritual advisor there said, you know, I want to give you an honest assessment about your possibility of being a Catholic vocation, becoming a priest or a monk. And I said, okay, I'll take the honest statement. And he said, you will never make a good priest or a good monk. And I said, really? Then he said, well, I've seen you around campus. You're too distracted by women, and um, (laughs) you'd probably fail in that, (laughs) and we want people to stay in the vocations. I said, well, that's honest. And he said, yeah, and you go out with some pretty women. I said, well, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So at that point, I was going, huh. I'm not going to be a priest, but I want to do something service-wise. And uh, one of my friends invited me to the Taoist Sanctuary of San Diego. And um, there I there were two things that happened. And this, is, uh, this goes back to women again. And, uh, you know, when you're young, you try to do things to impress women. And then when I was younger in college, junior year, I tried to impress this young Japanese-American woman with skateboarding, and I broke my leg in front of her. I made a strong impression. We never dated again. <laughs> um, but I was told by the, the orthopedic surgeon who worked on me 
that I needed to stop doing anything that could possibly break my leg again. And I said, okay. And he said, you might want to consider swimming or cycling. And I had been cycling, but I uh, never really did much swimming. And I said, well, can I do competition karate or gong fu anymore? And he said, no, <laughs> clearly not. So he said, you might want to look at some other things. And I got introduced to Tai Chi through a friend when we went to the Dallas Sanctuary of San Diego. And then I ended up staying and studying Tai Chi and Qigong and all the practical Taoist arts, uh, Twina An Mo. And he ended up leaving after the second lesson. And I ended up um, going there for two straight years before my master's degree at Illinois. And then when I returned to San Diego, finishing the Taoist studies program um, at uh, the Taoist Sanctuary of San Diego. Now, some history about the Taoist Sanctuary of San Diego. It was the first nonprofit around Taoism in America, established in the late 1960s. And um, the second director was one of my teachers there, uh, Bill Helm, and he studied directly with Sherke Lu and Abraham Lu. Sherke Lu was a Taoist priest from um, uh, southern China, and uh, I learned Qigong and philosophy from uh, the people there, and then I became part of the Taoist Studies program, which uh, I shared with Greg a few years ago, um, and then completed that study in 1998 before I came to University of Missouri. So uh, I took a very circuitous, circuitous route to Taoism, um, and I think the object lesson there is just be open and um, you never know where a woman will lead you in the end. <laughs> or breaking your leg. <laughs> or break your leg. And um, you never know what paths you'll go in. So so I think that um, just for the clarity of people who don't know anything about Taoism, okay. what are some of like the basic beliefs or philo uh, philosophical um, you know, beliefs of Taoism? Okay. Um, there are... Three major books um, on Taoism that I would recommend anyone to read, uh, and they're known by their three authors. Uh, the first is a very, very basic book. It's uh, the Dei the Dao Jing, or the Dao Dei Jing, depending on the translation. I prefer the Robert Jenkins translation out of Yale. Um, the Dei Dao Jing is roughly translated by Arthur Whaley as the way and its power, Dao meaning the way, Day meaning power, and um, Jing meaning classic. Um, and that book um, has a number of short parable sort of things that give you a sense of how you should act appropriately with other people that recognizes them and recognizes their space in the world. Uh, unlike Confucianism, which was a contemporary religious uh, philosophical construct, Taoism actually recognized that um, everyone's different. And unlike Confucianism, it's very, very prescriptive and prescribed, as in this is how you practice filial piety, you always follow the edicts of your parents, um, so on and so forth, with a lot of codification, whereas Taoism, they had these recommended um, parables. The second, which is the Zhuangzi, um, which is a whole set of uh, meta thought processes about by this um, one philosopher, Zhuangzi, uh, about how 
the world is ephemeral. And many people also count Zhuangzi as the foundation for Chan Buddhism or Zen Buddhism. You may be familiar with the butterfly dream uh, that he wrote about many millennia ago, where is he a human dreaming about being a butterfly, or is he a butterfly dreaming about a human, about being a human? And he introduced relativity in uh, philosophical thought to Taoism and to Zen. And then there's the Liao Yiming, um, which is uh, which is the book by Liao Yiming, and it's his book is called The Awakening to the Tao, which um, talks about interconnectedness between um, everyone and everything out there from the molecular level all the way up to supernovae. And um, some outgrowths of that thought are like the Dance of the Wooly Masters, which was a popular 1990s uh, philosophical examination of Eastern religions so on and so forth. But Awakening to the Tao by Liao Yiming was very, very, it talked about how an individual goes about learning about their role within the world experience while simultaneous, simultaneously figuring out how you can best contribute to others. So that was one of the foundational texts for me. Now, because I was at the Taoist Sanctuary and there was a strong um, uh, concentration on practical Taoism, and we know a lot of the Taoist arts as separate from Taoism, but you have to look at it from the perspective of a Taoist, which is Tai Chi Chuen. Um, the word Tai Chi is from the symbol that is used in Taoism, which is called the Tai Chi Tu, which we in the West know as the yin yang. And um, it is a prescription for how you move your body. And that is a physical manifestation of the Tao. Um, then you have qi gong, which uh, qi is breath and gong is work, and that is the meditative aspects of practical Taoism, where it's very, very similar to zazen or um, seated meditation out of the Buddhists. Um, and then you have the uh, interconnected arts. So, for instance, I was lucky to study uh, Twina Anmo, which is um, uh, a form of deep tissue massage that is to help people when they require healing. And it's very, very similar to uh, deep tissue sweetest massage, which is a type of massage used for uh, recovery in heavy physical activity. So the Taoist arts in um, the Taoist studies program tie in with the readings. Um, and if you're lucky, there are a number of places in the United States where you can study Taoism. And there is actually a Chinese immigrant community Taoist temple in Vancouver, which someday I hope to make it to. Uh, I haven't been able to get up there. But they practice the traditional seasonal uh, celebratory Taoism that is practiced in Hong Kong. They're all uh, immigrant uh, Hong Kongese who left Hong Kong after uh, reunification between the mainland and the colony. So one of the precepts that I like people to understand about Taoism, um, because we are in the United States and we are all heavily Judeo-Christian Muslim, 
and we tend to be dichotomous in our thinking, practicing a form of platonic dualism, um, is if you come to the Tao, you don't have to give up your other faith. And in the Tao, you are technically supposed to accept everything, even though I know a number of Taoists that are pretty much um, uh, platonic dualists and they only practice Taoism, but you can practice Taoism and be a good Jewish person or a good Muslim or um, good Catholic, but not necessarily the other way around. Catholicism would say, no, nah, you don't really shouldn't be practicing Taoism, but maybe that's going to change under Francis. Um, but that's one thing. There's a saying that we were all taught uh, by Sher Ke Lu, which is Do Shur Dao, and that means all is Dao, uh, meaning we are all the same, and we are all corporeal in the same manner, and we're all supposed to treat each other res with respect. Um, and that's one of the other precepts that I think people are not familiar with with Taoism, is it is all inclusive. And as a multiculturalist, as a profession, um, it dovetails really well with my work practice in that way. So I know that in China and Taiwan, mm -hmm. there are there's a huge array of stories with relation to deities like the Jade Emperor or immortals like Ludong Pin or the Hermit of the Cloud Chamber or the Immortal with the Iron Crutch. I know there's specific liturgy and monasteries and priests and ceremonies. So it seems quite religious in some parts of Asia, mm -hmm. but in the West, it's often, it doesn't seem to often be taught as a religion per se. Mm -hmm. um, for example, like you, you talked about the Tao Te Ching, which doesn't list any specific people nope. or names or any historical events. So to you, is Taoism more of a philosophy or a religion? Well, um, that's a good question. So if I were to look at it as a ceremonial Taoist, and for instance, there's a ceremonial Taoist temple in Cebu in the Philippines, which is another reason why I ended up picking Taoism is because it is actually a Philippine native religion. Um, for me, it's primarily a philosophy with the practical uh, physical aspects, but it doesn't have the ceremonial aspects generally uh, in my practice because I haven't been around people other than Sher Ke Lu who do the uh, autumnal and um, uh, the equinox and um, solstice type celebrations. Um, and uh, all the different festivals associated with that. And my exposure to most Chinese festivals has been through my Chinese immigrant uh, friends and immigrant Filipino families, where it's a real interesting mix of moon festivals and all that, which people tend to separate from Taoism, but it's like in Shinto. Um, there's a strong ceremonial aspect to Shinto, but... Um, you would see a separation if you started looking at the medical arts from uh, ceremonial Shinto, and that's what you're having with Taoism in the West. People are looking at Taoism from the people I know. They're looking at it primarily from the health aspects and the practical, physical aspects, um, and with some philosophical aspects, but don't 
all have the cultural aspects of ceremonial practice. And that's why I really want to go to Vancouver, to the Taoist temple up there, because my understanding is um, they do the seasonal and the um, other festival celebrations there within a strictly Taoist context. And that would be really neat to go through a whole year cycle in Vancouver and experience it with the immigrant Chinese community there. There's nothing similar to it uh, east of Vancouver that I know of. Um, there were attempts in New York in the 1960s to establish a Taoist temple there, but um, the extent of that uh, pretty much was stopped by the Shijing School, which um, Chen Manqing, who was a Taoist priest who brought Tai Chi to the United States, saw that he could be um, make a livelihood teaching Tai Chi <laughs> instead of doing the ceremonies in a <laughs> temple. <laughs> so, you know, you have to put food on the table. So I don't know if there's a movement in New York now to do something like that. I do know that um, a number of Taoists from Taiwan and from Hong Kong relocated to uh, New York, but their names slipped my mind. So, yeah, in answer to your question, it's a real interesting thing because we need to tie into immigrant communities, but who knows what will happen with immigration <laughs> in the United States now that we have a certain type of president. No kidding. So what are Taoists striving for? What's the goal? Well, um, in the end for me, um, my goal is to always... Uh, work with other people in a respectful manner and uh, because you and I, Greg, are all part of the Tao. Uh, the person who I just met down at the pastry shop down in the library lobby, um, never met the guy. He said, I'm hungry. I said, you want a Danish? Bought him a Danish. Nice. <laughs> and that's what you call, you know, it's those little acts that make us human. And um, that extends to also how we treat uh, other beings in our presence. So uh, anyone who uh, knows the pure love of a cat or a dog or a horse knows uh, Taoism. And you may not know the words for it, but uh, you're connected to them through the Tao as well. And so the key thing for me is... Um, being in a place to always be of best service to others. And n now that I'm in my 50s, I wonder, is that coming strictly from Taoism, or is it because Sister Melita, who was uh, one of my um, great teachers when I was an altar boy, is that coming from her? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think the key thing is to recognize that there is a relativity in religious practice and that you shouldn't be judgmental. And it ties in very, very clearly to how you treat others through Taoism uh, and how if you are going about your day and you're, ha you're dealing with someone who's having a difficult time, you always remember the symbol of the Tai Chi too. And there, when it's the darkest, there's always this little dot of light that may come from that individual, but they're going through such a hard time they may not understand it. 
And unlike the static representation of the yin-yang in our culture, it's always rotating, it's always moving. We all go through these cyclical patterns that um, we go through strong light, strong dark, uh, strong troubles, strong uh, um, fortunate experiences. And there's always that kernel of the beginning of the next change. And that's what I strive for in my daily life as a Taoist. Now, in the end, and this is one of those funny things, um, I, I did my will a few years ago. Yes, let's talk about death. <laughs> We're going to talk about death. Great. Now. And um, when I was doing my will, the attorney said, so um, uh, you're doing this durable power of attorney. What do you want to do with your body? So on and so forth. And I said, you know, I'm going to be gone. Yeah. I could care less. <laughs> but uh, here at Mizzou, because I did the uh, will here in Missouri, I um, said, you know, I've been a test dummy for the Diabetic Research Institute now at the Med Center for the last seven years. Donate my body to the Med Center, have them do all these diabetic things, and maybe it'll help someone when I've gone. I'll still be of service to others. And uh, then you can cremate me because there really won't be much left after the dissection. <laughs> uh, so that, there's the reality of the death there. And um, at the end of it, one of the things that I learned from uh, um, one of the visiting Shanghai medical individuals who came in and talked about the seven healing sounds um, that is practiced in Qigong. This was back in 1996. Was... Um, when you finally end, you go back to the great pool of Tao. And that great pool of Tao may be the breath that you exhaled. It may be how your body is reconstituted into elements. But in the end, you become part of everyone again. And you are just temporarily separate in this body. So. That was a real eye-opening thing in the 1990s. And when I die, I know that I'll be a part of the Great Pool of Tao. Um, and hopefully, my body will be useful so for some medical research to help someone else who's dealing with diabetes somewhere. So I, I think that answers your question. Yeah. So you're still alive right now. Yes, I am. We're, Otherwise, we wouldn't have this right. conversation. So. Because you're alive right now and you're a Taoist and you do certain practices, you've mentioned Qigong a couple times. What take me through like some of your habits, some of your like day to day cultivation practices that you adhere to as a Taoist that may differ from a non Taoist? Um, okay, day to day, I wake up generally at 5 30 a.m. every morning. Um, and I try to do a analysis of the day um, if I have enough time, which is really seldom now. I used to do this on a regular basis, but um, I used to uh, throw the I Ching, um, or I Ching as Americans would pronounce <laughs> it based upon the book, but it'd be I Ching if you speak Mandarin or any of the Chinese languages. Um, I used to throw the I Ching um, every other day, but I haven't done that for a while. Describe what that means, throwing it. 
Okay, um, you could do it two different ways. You could do it with the 49 uh, stalks of wheat or rice, and they would be um, throwing it from hand to hand and uh, pulling out until you get a certain number, which uh, is assigned to a line in the hexagrams you would do in the reading of the I Ching. Um, in my case, because I don't have that skill set, <laughs> I take three coins and um, I use the coins to come up with an enumeration for uh, solid lines, broken lines, and changing lines that determine the aspects of the hexagram. So you uh, look at the I Ching, there are a number of combinations of three and three hexagrams, three on top, three uh, trigrams, trigrams, three uh, lines on top, three lines on bottom, which forms a hexagram. And then there are 64 different uh, recommended passages that could determine how your day will go. And that's where I um, used to do that every day to figure out, will I be in a good place to work on this project or not? And um, unfortunately, I've let that drop. But I used to do that every day for a period of four or five years um, uh, when I was going through a particularly tough time in my professional practice uh, here at the university. And it gave me a sense of how I would interact with people. Um, I do regularly um, midday um, after eating. Um, I try to do Len Fa, which is a form of short uh, breath-oriented meditation. And Len Fa um, is very, very similar to um, seated meditation in Buddhism, um, only, only you're not concentrating on a sound like you would in yoga or Buddhism. You're concentrating on the path of the breath through your body through the uh, meridians. So you would go from the meridians in your head down to the dantian and the perineum and then back up forward through to your mouth and you concentrate on the breath in that manner. So it's a cyclical breathing pattern similar to uh, some forms of yoga. And I will do that for 15 to 20 minutes to get ready for the rest of the day. And if I do it too much, um, because uh, sometimes I lose track of time, I hope I don't go to too many meetings late, but I try to do that to clear myself. And then in the evenings, I used to um, do one of the forms of Tai Chi I do, or one of the form of Qi Gongs I do. And um, that's a way of closing out the day. And then at the end of the day, I just kind of take stock of the day and figure out, huh, I wasn't very Taoist here. <laughs> or maybe I was kind of Taoist this time. Or um, maybe I just need to just not overthink things. And that's the key thing uh, with any of re the religious practices of anyone is not to overthink things because you can go down really weird paths. So I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. So I'm curious if you can tell me about what you think that Taoism does really well as a world religion. Like what do you think it does really well? Okay, this is an idealized version of it, but I know that this is not the case um, because we're all human. Um, if Taoism is practiced in its purest sense, you'd be non-judgmental of everyone. 
but I've known a number of Taoists who are judgmental <laughs> of everyone. <laughs> and I'm talking immigrant Chinese, immigrant uh, Thai, and immigrant Filipino who are all claimed to be Taoists. But if you are to look at Taoism in the most radical sense of the Tao, you would not pass judgment on other people. And you wouldn't practice uh, platonic dualism in your own personal life. You wouldn't beat yourself up for eating too much at dinner or treating that person poorly or you wouldn't demand from your partner that they act a certain way. Um, you would treat everyone equi equanimously in your workplace. So that's the key thing. If you're a good practicing Taoist, you wouldn't be judgmental. Now, I know in this time period, uh, one of the critiques by um, fundamentalist Christians and fundamentalist Muslims and fundamentalist Jewish people, uh, and also fundamentalist Buddhists, is this um, religious relativism where, yeah, let's recognize everyone, but the key thing... Two, one. The key thing, if you're practicing Taoism correctly is you just generally respect people without judgment. And um, you don't, in the end, the ultimate judgment is you do not an enact war. Um, and I think that's a hard concept because we have this propensity in all cultures um, to enact war and use religion as the foundation to enact war on someone else. And there's a beautiful book on how you can look at religion and, um, uh, and the practice of warfare, and that is um, by James Aho out of uh, University of Idaho. This was in the mid-1990s. The book is Religious Mythology and the Art of War. And he looks at all the major religions and how people use the religion as a way of enacting war, even though if you look at original Christianity, it was a pacifist religion, not what uh, Paul and Jerome eventually made it into and Augustine. So, so if you're a good Taoist, just like if you're a good Christian or Buddhist or so on and so forth, you wouldn't be doing what the Buddhists are doing to the Rohingya right now in Cambodia, Thailand. You wouldn't be doing... Um, uh, some of the things that are happening on the West Bank of, uh, and in the Gaza Strip, if you were a good practicing Jewish person, uh, you wouldn't be doing um, the activities to limit women's reproductive rights uh, if you're a good Christian, uh, unlike what's going on right now with the American Republican Party. So if you look at it from the pure sense of what Taoism is, you wouldn't be judgmental. You'd be there recognizing what I do to you, I do, you do unto me, and um, it will be a bad time for you, but I'm here to help you. The United States, by census, is around 70, 72% Christian. Yes. So what's it like to be a Taoist in the United States? Like, whenever you tell people about some of your practices, what's it been like for you over the last <laughs> 20, 30 years? Well, the first reaction is, 
what the hell's that? <laughs> uh, and um, it's gotten to the point where I say, well, it's kind of like Buddhism. Oh, okay, cool. So you're vegetarian. And I go, no, I'm not vegetarian. <laughs> um, and uh, it's really, really funny because uh, um, no one knows about Taoism uh, for the most part. And um, it's just like most people don't know Sikhism or Jainism or Zoroastrianism. And if you look at any faculty in the United States, you will have people from each of those religions on the faculty. Um, and uh, it, it's, it, it's funny the reaction of people saying Taoism. Um, and then they, one interaction I had a few weeks ago, um, they said, so I was saying to everybody in Tagalog, Malagayang Pasko, Malagayan, and Manong At Manong Gabagong Taon, which is Merry Christmas and Happy New Year in Tagalog. And um, uh, they asked for the translation, and they say, how do you say Happy New Yearism and Taoism? Happy New Year and Taoism. I say, Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that when I explain that the symbol of the, of the religion is the yin-yang or the tai chi too, um, I've had people say, oh, you do martial arts. And I said, well, I do kind of tai chi. And then I'll never forget one of my uh, students at UC San Diego. This was years ago. I was teaching the courtyard Tai Chi class uh, uh, at lunchtime, which I didn't do here at Mizzou because it was too cold in the winter. But in UC San Diego, it was very easy to do because it was temperate all year long. Um, she said, oh, you're a Taoist. And I said, yeah. And she said, you do martial arts? I said, yeah. So can you jump from here to <laughs> 50 feet away? And I go, no, that's called wire work. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never liked harnesses. And they go, wire work. And I, yeah, we can talk about that another <laughs> time. But no one knows anything about it. So um, it, it's really an interesting thing. Uh, because people know I'm Filipino, they uh, ask me if I know the Filipino priest at the local Catholic Newman Center in Indiana, PA, all the time. I said, yeah, I know. I know him. But uh, And they say, so do you go to his mass? And I go, no, I don't go to Mass. Uh, stopped practicing that part of my life a long time ago. Uh, and they said, oh, really? But I thought all Filipinos were. I said, no, no, no. Uh, only 90% of Filipinos are Catholic. The rest are Protestant and everything else. So it's really interesting. It's mostly ignorance on most people's parts. And there's not much in the way of prejudicial discrimination against Taoists because Taoism, what's that? That's a different way of looking at things. Um, so it's really interesting in that way. What's really interesting is when I get into conversations about, with people, um, about Taoism and about religious practice, and they tend to be, um, uh, religious practitioners. So for instance, the other day, um, I was talking with a faculty member who had been at IUP now for the last 30 years, and uh, she's Jewish, um, and she said to me, you know, we used to have prayer at convocation and graduation, and when you got here, you stopped the prayer. And I said, well, yeah, because not everyone's Christian. And she said, that was so nice. 
thank you. And I said, it wasn't only me, it was all of us on cabinet making that decision. And she said, but at it was one of the few times where I thought, someone's actually paying attention to those who aren't Christian. And there's that tie-in because she asked, you were raised Christian? I said, yeah, I was raised Catholic, but I'm a practicing Taoist. And she said, oh, so you know what it's like to be a minority religion? I said, yeah, because um, we're in an overwhelmingly Christian nation. And it's really interesting how uh, fundamentalist Christians feel that they're being oppressed when people just ask, can we not do a prayer at a graduation? Um, so that is a real interesting thing because I try to take the equanimity of Taoism and practice that in my professional life. And I hope that I'm helpful to the Jewish and Muslims who I interact with in the communities in which I've been in to make sure that their voice is heard. Um, one of the things that was really interesting um, was we had this issue at IUP because there is no mosque within walking distance to the campus, unlike here in Columbia, where you can go to uh, services uh, at the mosque here in Columbia fairly readily on Fridays. Um, the nearest one is um, two, three miles away. Uh, and that's the only one in that area. If you want to go to any major uh, uh, Muslim practice, you'd have to go to Monroeville, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh, and that's about two hours away from campus. And um, one of the things I did was actually established uh, open prayer spaces where anyone can pray, but it's used primarily by our Muslim students for the uh, realization of praying five times a day. And uh, the advisors of the Muslim Student Organization said, no one's ever thought of that. And I said, well, you know, you are part of the campus. We need to respect your religion. And he said, God, I wish we had more administrators that thought that way. And I said, you know, maybe it's because I'm Californian, and maybe it's because I'm Dallas. Maybe it's because of all these other things. But, you know, you shouldn't feel oppressed in your workplace and the study place for the students. And he said, thanks. So they use it. Uh, to this day, um, the designated open prayer space in the library. And I remember dealing with a fundamentalist Christian about there shouldn't be this because you know that they're the devils. And I said, no, they're not the devils. They're just like you, only you don't recognize that yet. They're human, they bleed, and they need a place to pray. So I think that's how I perceive Taoism in the actual American workplace and American uh, interactions with others. Um, it gives me an insight to um, what it means to be a minority religion in our current practice of uh, overwhelming majority practice. And it points out to me just how uh, blind I was when I was a very, very strong, devout Catholic about my perspective on religion. So I hope that answered your question. Oh, yeah. So what are some of your future goals in Taoism? Well, I, I, that's a good question. Because it seems like you've gone through some periods of like ebb and flow in your own practice. Mm -hmm. And it seems like 
you know, sometimes you're you're really like in it, and then sometimes you kind of drift away for a little bit, and then wind up coming back. So, what do, what does your future in the practice look like? Do you think? Well, that's a good question. I you know, haven't thought about that too much. Um, I think getting back to the daily meditative part would be really really good. Possibly practicing the Yijing again. I do really want to spend time in Vancouver um, in the future. And um, this is one of those things where, wow, you're old now. Um, this past summer, I dated a Canadian. And uh, she actually did some graduate work at Simon Fraser University. and. Uh, that fell apart like everything else dating at this age um, but uh, I said if you if something happens and we ended up getting serious which obviously didn't happen would you consider going back to Vancouver and she said well you know I wouldn't mind I mean I love Simon Fraser I said well I wouldn't mind living there for a year and she said why and I said because um, there's this Taoist temple there that's run by the immigrant Chinese community and I've never really experienced a whole year cycle in um, uh, of practicing Taoism in the Western Hemisphere and I can't go to the one in Cebu because the Philippines is run by Duterte right now and I might be considered uh, miscreant by Duterte and I my Chinese is so poor I wouldn't be able to do it in Taiwan and she said, well, that'd be something. And obviously, we're not together. So um, that would be something I would still like to do. Um, and if I'm lucky enough in the future, maybe someone will join me there. But it would be real neat to see that cycle of ceremonial Taoism um, in practice in an immigrant community that you do not have in the, West, in the, in the American context right now. Um, I just hope it's not as bad as ABC. Um, I don't know if you know what ABC is. Uh, ABC is the American Buddhist Congress. <laughs> and um, I think when they established it, they patterned it after boring Christian <laughs> <laughs> services. So you sit in pews <laughs> and you listen to these Buddhist aphorisms. And this is primarily in uh, Los Angeles before the immigrant Buddhist population took over. Uh, there in the mid-1990s, but I remember going to an ABC service, and I'm going, God, this is as bad as Catholic institutions. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, I'd like to experience the Taoist temple in Vancouver someday. So this is a podcast that I started to, you know, just meet with people and talk mm -hmm. about different religious practices around the world. And, you know, as you know, I teach a class on religion in an American high school uh -huh. with Midwestern young people. Yes. So why do you think that it's important for people to learn about more religions than just the one that they may practice? Like, what do you hope non-Taoists take away from this conversation? Okay. Um, I'm now going to put on a multiculturalist has hat because I'm a chief university it. officer. Um one of the hallmarks of my youth was I was raised in a working class neighborhood in San Diego, California. My neighbors were from Vietnam, Korea, uh, Persia, 
using the correct term according to my Persians friends, Syria, um, Chad, Ghana, South Africa, um, Australia, um, Palestine, and Israel, um, Chinese, Nisei Japanese, um, Mexicans, um, Argentinians, uh, Guatemalans, Cubans, and Filipinos. And Filipinos who were Basayan, Tagalog, Ilocano, Panganisan, so on and so forth, all of us speaking different uh, uh, Filipino languages. And I thought that was normal. And I did not know that that was an artifact of coming from an immigrant community background where all of us uh, spoke different languages and um, developed a begrudging respect for each other as well as learning how to call each other bad names in each other's languages. And we all had different religious practice. So I didn't think it was weird that my friend who spoke Farsi went to the Chaldean uh, Christian church versus my friend who was Ethiopian who went to an Ethiopian Jewish uh, synagogue or my friends from Syria and um, from Palestine going to a mosque. I thought that was normal. And then I went for my master's at the University of Illinois in the late 80s, early 90s, and I had never been in a monocultural construct before. I mean, I had a sense of what it meant to be in an upper middle class construct going to a Catholic university for my undergrad. But when I went to Illinois for my master's in Chinese studies, it was overwhelmingly monocultural. And I believe being in a mo monocultural context, whether it be Urbana-Champaign, Indiana, PA, uh, Columbia, Missouri, sets our people up for failure when we are asked to work with people from other backgrounds or to accept other people. And the scary thing is, for me as a multiculturalist, is this resurgent white supremacy that is being given this open, uh, open way of doing things now. Um, because our strength has never been how monocultural we are. Our strength has always been how we have brought in other cultures and then helped them make their practices part of American culture. And as a Taoist who wants everyone to respect each other, being a multiculturalist who wants to have a workplace that helps people understand that each one of us have our problems, but each one of us has a way of contributing to each other is a major factor for um, education. And now let me make a comment about you having a religious studies class in high school. I, I've been in education now <coughs> in one way or the other most of my life. And when I was in the San Diego Unified School District as a teenager in the um, 1970s, early 1980s, I was chosen because of um, the school desegregation mandated busing plan 
that was established under court order to represent my high school to San Diego Unified School District. And um, one of the things that I learned was our failure of not teaching people how to talk about religion in an appreciative way and in a sharing way sets our systems up for failure. And I would have loved to take a religion class that was fairly neutral at um, Marston Junior High or Claremont High School, but that was not offered. Um, so I think it's exciting that you're able to teach a religion class that exposes students um, in a fairly uh, honest, open, structured manner to people who actually practice because we do not attribute humanity to someone in most monocultural contexts who practices another religion that's different from our own. And I think it's beautiful that you have that opportunity to help bridge that gap while you teach in middle school or high school. So I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. And I'm so grateful to you for uh, spending part of your day off with me here today. I know that you've got um, you know, a lot of people that are excited to see you and visit with you in your visit here to Columbia. So thank you so much for coming on the Classical Ideas podcast. I've had so much fun. Well, thank you for your time. Classical Ideas is produced by me, Greg Soden. Music on Classical Ideas is performed and composed by Derek Striving. You can find his music at www.wearewarmmusic.com. If you would like to support this show, please subscribe or leaving a rating in iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.